from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to the Superiority Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast, Spring Break Special, number three. I have a hard time saying Spring Break quickly. It comes out Spring Bake, which sounds like a totally different kind of event that I would not participate in, nor would my guest today. That's an intro, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to have a Spring Bake early, later today. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Play a pie. Maybe a... A blueberry pie. Maybe why blueberry? Why? Is that the first one that came? That seems like the most labor-intensive pie, because the berries are so small. That's a lot of work. Guess we'll find out. That's why everybody is cherry pie because it's easy. Uh, my guest today, you've heard his voice already. Uh, you may recognize him from episodes past. It's Mister. It's it's my friend and award-winning. Very proud to say this. Award-winning director. Chris, Chris Graham. How you doing, Chris? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Thanks. You, well, the, the, the origin is this. You uh, were listening to the Pat Francis episode, and you just sent me some. Every once in a while, you'll just drop in with some, like, something about an episode that you happen to be on or a, a point that I've touched on that you, you feel you need to respond to. And so I'll get a text. And so you were loving Pat Francis. Yeah, you were loving Pat Francis laying into the DC universe. And so I said, why haven't, I haven't had Chris on in probably two or three years. Uh, so why don't we have Chris Graham on, especially now that it's easy to do with remote since we live far apart. But um, I, I'm happy to have you. Sir. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that episode. Pat's always I was, a great... uh, driving down the road, nodding aggressively in agreement <laughs> to Pat. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I got to... I gotta, tell mario about this this is this is too good what happened was that first episode we did uh was just a normal like you know kind of us we were just kind of talking about things and talking about and then the it got lost the 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 data file was corrupted and we couldn't use it and i i you know i sheepishly told i said pat i lost that whole thing i have like the last we had taken a break i said i got like the last 30 minutes and that's it he goes well let's record it again he's like let's let's just do it and i was like are you sure he goes yeah yeah we'll do it tonight and the pat I got the next night, it was earlier in the day, first of all. <laughs> the pat I got that, it was just this manic energy of I hate for the DC universe, but it was gold. It was great. I, I had to just keep going with it. I couldn't, you can't stop a train like that once it gets rolling. Well, what a good guy. No, he is a good egg. Uh, and you should listen to his what podcast. A good guy. I, I would, I would uh, never. Never do the episode again. If you lose this, it's done. <laughs> well, first of all, I had to I had to apologize publicly. I was late today. I said let's record at a certain time, and I I turned on my computer and it was just black screen, nothing. Computer wasn't giving me anything. So all I, in the middle of trying to fix it, uh, it started working mysteriously. There is a little bit of lag on the video I noticed, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be too particular about it because I'm I'm getting the what I need, and so we'll go with it. But I apologize to you because I said this time and I was going to be ready to go at that time. And then we ended up being 15 minutes late. So I apologize for taking up your time. Hey, no worries. Well, listen. It's all good. Listen, Chris, the reason we have you here, of course. Sorry for taking a sip of water. But the reason we have you here, A, you're a good guy. You're a good egg. You're one of the good. You're one of the greats. All right. You're one of the, you're one of the guys on the all-time great good egg list. Um, 
<laughs> but secondly, you have a you when you were here last time, the first time you were on the show, you were you were promoting your film Noble Fur, which you can watch now on Amazon Prime. Is it still on Amazon Prime? I'm not giving away false Ooh, information. Thanks for the plug. Yep. All right, Noble. It, no, it, it's it's on there. It sh- it'll be on there for the uh, rest of the time. Um, it's where it uh, where films go to retire. <laughs> Don't say it that way. So uh, and you know, I mean, it's a it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it makes it more accessible to everybody. Um, and you know, then I get a a, a dollar um, a deposit in my account every month. So it's it's all good. One buck. <laughs> You're sad. <laughs> they're, 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 uh, well, we had a great we had a great run. We uh, we sold it to a couple different places. So um, we uh, yeah we were very happy with where it was at when we put it on Amazon. And and now um, their um, their payment um, uh, system is is not. Um, I mean, it's kind of kind of funny. Um, well, I'm, so, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll get. I'll see. I'm like ooh, uh, seven hundred uh, you know views this month, and and I'll be like. I'll open my my checking account. There'll be a dollar thirty one in there or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, ah, all right, <laughs> nice. Well, you know, if it's anything like their layout, the, like their user, like their user interface, yeah. uh, I can imagine that their their payment structure is probably not not the best either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, you know, I'm sure when you're um, a you know a superhero movie or something like that, you know, they're getting um. Yeah, that all their views are paying off to somebody, but but sure. yeah, but not uh, you. You got to tap into that. I know. I I should make a Sasquatch movie. I think there's like two thousand Sasquatch movies on uh, on Amazon right now, and you know I even find myself <laughs> putting one on in the background and <laughs> and uh, saying, "What was this all about?" <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm sure they're rolling in the dough. The, the, the Sasquatch. They're like the like true crime podcasts. It's that yeah. they're huge right now. So I guess yeah. the Sasquatch movies on Amazon, that's where the money is. That's where, that's where, that's where your bread <laughs> yeah. is buttered. Amazon's uh, version of true crime is what, uh, the Sasquatch. Well, you're from yeah. Oregon. Did you have any, I mean, what, what, what was it like there? Was there, you know, word of like Sasquatch encounters? Was oh, that- oh my gosh, yeah, uh, 100%. My dad is a firm believer. Um, <laughs> really? Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he is. I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's been, been, uh, uh, so I uh, enhanced over the years. Um, uh, I think the more more time he goes uh, fishing by himself, I think he, <laughs> he just <laughs> works his imagination up a little bit more. Well, that's um, that's the point. <laughs> that's the key word. You said they're by himself. He has some crazy stories that when you're hearing them, you you can't you can't help but smile, and you're tr- you're trying to take it seriously. But then, uh, yeah, like uh, you know, alone on a riverbank, and all of a sudden someone starts throwing rocks at him and stuff. <laughs> And I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> pretty sure that was uh, some feral child. <laughs> Just living out in the woods. Yeah, I want to. I, we gotta have your dad on now. I gotta. I gotta. Now this is like a, this is gold. I gotta have the, the Sasquatch stories. Yeah, bye bye film career after that. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you just do a documentary on your dad? Uh, and, and uh, yeah. the Sasquatch thing. <laughs> no, uh, I think. I believe uh, my uncle one time. He's a uh, a lot of my my family works in the Forest Service and and in uh, the uh, timber industry and stuff. And he actually 
um, faked footprints on a lake bed before, and um, that resulted in uh, a, a sort of a, a flock of people um, uh, coming down on, on to, to my town, and uh, and you know you had to see what these footprints were all about and make casts and whatnot. And uh, I think it made the, the paper and everything. Oh my and god! <laughs> he he was uh, he was just messing around and he didn't he almost didn't think that anybody would find it but of course you know there's always people on the lookout so. wow that's <laughs> yeah. great did he did, did he cop to it did he have to did he have to come out and say hey look i this is fake uh I no just- i think he just laughed for a week <laughs> <laughs> he might even went down there and said yeah yeah i saw him once too <laughs> i don't know man this said- is what if we just broke a scoop like there's some sasquatch uh devotee listening to this and he found out that his whole like maybe that's what got him on the trail and now he well, just uh, yeah. stumbles across his podcast and finds out it was your uncle messing around yeah he's you know those those people are delusional he's just gonna, <laughs> he's gonna claim that uh, yeah, there's always going to be some jokester in the mix. Yeah, I mean Sasquatch is. I mean that's it's. I mean, I mean we'll take it. Let's take it seriously for half a second. There's no way people wouldn't have hard evidence by now with the with the abundance of cell phones and drones and things like that. I mean, there's no way he could. It's not like Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster, which yeah. is 100 percent real. Uh, <laughs> I used to want to believe in the Loch Ness yeah. monster so badly. I used to, you know, but at this at this point in time, there's just no way they wouldn't have found it by now. It's like there's no, no, no. You're, you're, trail cams and like you said, um, uh, and then you always hear the counter argument. Um, well, have you ever seen uh, a dead bear skeleton? Uh, and and uh, I'm always like, yeah, like four <laughs> i mean it's fairly common <laughs> like it's not that uncommon and then uh and the people that work in the forest every day they see um you know they'll come across a dead bear or dead cougar all the time um <laughs> i mean they have numerous encounters of that but they've never seen a sasquatch <laughs> and, he's, uh, he's up there yeah. man. there's a lot of area up there up in up in washington and uh oregon yep you uh, you did, you said it right. Let me add the the R. You've been up there. You've driven through. Yeah, so you probably uh, drove, picked it up in your travels. Proudly drove all the not proudly, but one year my dad decided we're going to Vancouver. And by the way, this is the year after the World's Fair left Vancouver. My dad decides we're driving to Vancouver. He's like, he saw it on TV and was like, "I've always wanted like let's go." So we drove. Uh, my parents' brand new '87 Buick Lesabre. I was not quite old enough to drive yet my dad was like you're driving though i drove almost the whole way and uh, so all the way from la to uh to vancouver so saw some beautiful there was actually more trees in oregon than there were in in washington i felt yeah it depends which part you're driving through um the if you're on the the i-5 the whole way um yeah. it's actually a lot of um uh sort of a, it's like a, a valley so you're not going to see a lot of trees in the um washington I- segment of that but yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of rainforest up in Washington that it's super beautiful. Let me just tell you, I did see the Enchanted Forest there in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> so that, that place hit hard times during COVID. Um, but uh, they were just recovering from a really bad windstorm um, when uh, the, sh- the state wouldn't, it didn't, they said that they couldn't open because of restrictions or whatever. So they did a GoFundMe. And this place is beloved it's it's a really creepy local yeah you have uh, to go if, amusement park, theme park. <laughs> what, what town is it in what part of uh, oregon is um it? i don't even 
think it's a town. I think it's its own town. <laughs> it's a. It, it's about um, uh, twenty miles north of Salem and thirty miles south of Portland. So it's it's in the no man's land. Yeah, it's kind of a weird. It's a very much a roadside attraction. There's a couple of rides, but everything is basically just. Uh, it's like a fairy tale land. Yeah, and it's all statues. There's no animatronics or anything. It's all. Uh, well, yeah, there's there are some characters like there's like like Humpty Dumpty is one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I have a picture of that somewhere. Central characters and um, but all the they, they have um, there's like a whole like um, uh, this wing that's um, like kind of witch's wing or whatever, and and you get to. Uh, yeah, walk around a witch's house like, uh, and um, there's some creepy rooms, and I, I think they might have animatronics now, um, or they, they they did, but maybe just a couple. But uh, yeah, and, and it's an experience. Kids kids love it. It sticks with you. <laughs> I, I, it stuck with me all these years. I was probably like 15 or 16 when I think I was 16 when we went up there, and uh, I remember you know by that time I was a little too old for it, but my mom really wanted to go, and so my dad was never. My dad just wanted to get to where we were going. My dad would have literally gone to Vancouver and said, yep, there's Vancouver, and we would have just turned around and driven back without stopping. Um, but it was just all about the, you know, he wanted to go there. Uh, but my mom, I remember, convinced him to go, so we went. And I was already kind of like a surly teenager and didn't want to be there. But I remember riding this their knockoff Matterhorn, and it, yeah. was, it was weird because you sat in a bobsled, but then they covered you with this plastic bubble like the Cones of Silence on Get Smart. And I remember that, and it was hot in there. That's all. I oh remember. wow! I forgot it. I don't think they have those uh, those little shields on anymore. I don't know why they had the shields. I don't understand what it was for. That's interesting. Wow! I remember that. Yeah, I gotta look that up, huh? Yeah, go Google it. Google Enchanted Forest, Oregon, and get ready to. Well, let's. Get, we should go back together. Get ready um, to pay. Let's do it. You should. You know, a podcast there. Or, I, yeah, sorry. I, I record a podcast. Podcast I, there. I feel like this is a, a subject for a short film. Yeah. If only we knew someone who directed uh, short films. <laughs> that one's too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the guy for the job. <laughs> that is a, that's a too clum- many memories. That was a clumsy sed- segue because part of the reason I want to have you here is right yeah. now uh, on the festival circuit is a short film you directed and uh, you wrote. Mm-hmm. And uh, your wife was actually—I just saw in the credits. You sent me the screener. Your wife was actually a uh, an executive producer on. Mm-hmm. And uh, you shot it while you were. Were you living in Tokyo when you shot this? Is this? I was. My apologies, Chris. We had a little bit of a of a technical glitch there. Uh, what what seems like only seconds to our listeners was an eternity to you and I. So I first of all I appreciate you again being patient. But we're going to get through no this. Problem. We're going to get feels like an uh, enchanted forest operation. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get through this three hour podcast. Trust me, Chris. Don't worry about it. What are you drinking? Mm -hmm. drinking Are you drinking a diet Pepsi? Yep. Nothing but the best for the morning. Oh, my gosh. I like how you looked. You you checked to make sure that it was in focus when you held up. (laughs) People, (laughs) the people at home won't see that, but he really checked to see if it was in focus right there. Got to do the brand right. <laughs> all your right by the brand. All your branding. Yeah, he's drinking that silver bullet, that Diet Pepsi. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. You're uh, you're a Diet Coke fan. Coke or, Zero. Uh, Coke, Coke Coke Zero, right? Coke Zero. Yeah, yeah. So when I was living in Japan, 
it was um, I couldn't find Diet Coke. Um, yeah. And I never had really um, got into Coke Zero. And their 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 Pepsi is a little a little off there. They use a different like sweetener or something. Okay. But, so they actually had Coke Zero in the in cans there in the grocery store, and um, I so I was like. I, I just miss drinking out of a can. Like the, the, the just cold, it's colder. It's uh, the, the I, I don't know the weird taste of aluminum. Yeah, whatever, yeah, of course. Yeah, you get so, all the all the rare metals coursing yeah, through your veins. So I I got one one day, and uh, you know we didn't have a car there, so we had to walk everywhere. And uh, so um, when I would do big grocery shopping trips, I would actually bring a backpack. Um, people would buy these little carts and just wheel them, you know, to a mile to their house. But I had this big like travel backpack. Anyway. I had the one Coke Zero. I don't know if it's just I hadn't had a can of soda in about a year, but um, I was like, that was amazing. So I went and cleaned them out. I, I, I started like just dumping them in my backpack. And it was uh, like 50 pounds of Coke Zero in the backpack as I walked down my neighborhood, through my neighborhood in Japan. <laughs> Coke Zero and Diet Dr. Pepper are the only two diet sodas that kind of get it right. Because I don't mind a regular yeah. Pepsi. I, I used to, my aunt used to buy Pepsi all the time. And uh, so I don't mind a regular Pepsi, but their diet is not. I don't like Diet Coke either, honestly. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't tried the Pepsi Max, which is I think the Pepsi. I think that's their version of the Coke Zero. It is, and uh, the, now they changed it to Pepsi Zero to it, compete with. Uh, I, I think to be easier on on the uh, customers, you know, to understand what it is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I actually love that. It's just a lot of caffeine. So it I, is, uh, it is. But I like to have. I, I try to cut down a. I usually have like one can a day, but now I'm really trying to cut back because for a while I was Good off man. soda completely. I was off soda completely, and then uh, Coke Zero sucked me back in to yeah. drinking soda. <clears throat> it's it's because deli- it, it's just like a less sweet Coke, and so it's it, it kind of scratches that itch because yeah, uh, yeah, I love it now. You ever have a, a Coke out of a bottle, like out of the old vending machines, the glass bottles? There, oh yeah, those were that you could not beat those back on. No, that, th- that was great. We're, I mean, it's definitely like Oregon is uh, it's actually called uh, well, Eugene, where I grew up, is called Pepsi Town. Uh, we have a big Pepsi manufacturer there, and uh, so my family works for Pepsi, so we didn't really drink Coke. Um, but uh, we, I had definitely had like the Pepsi out of the bottle a lot, and the, the Squirt and Mountain Dew and Squirts. Kind of yeah. Now you're talking, buddy. Now you're talking, buddy boy. Yeah, nothing like a. Like a refreshing grapefruit soda. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice. I like an ice cold bottle. Oh, I dude, I love it. It's good but stuff. I'm never getting a squirt in a can. That's for sure. Uh, my grandpa used to drink squirt out of the can. He, squirt was his favorite soda, mm. and he would always get a squirt. And uh, that was back in this is back in like the 70s and 80s when you could get like squirt and orange crush were plentiful. And, yeah, uh, he would always uh, he would always drink a squirt out of a can. I remember that. That was my grandpa's favorite. When you're not feeling good, when your tum tum's a little off, squirt, <laughs> squirt will fix you right up. For sure. Forget Seven Up. Gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Squirt that little, that, that, that extra citrus yeah. just gets in there and works your tummy. You know the funniest thing you ever said? <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing you ever said, and I will re- remember this to, to the day I die. You were debating someone about. They were trying to convince you that Voldemort was the greatest movie villain of all time. And you said, and I quote, are you kidding me? Darth Vader can choke you out with his mind. 
<laughs> All Voldemort could do was give Harry Potter a stomachache. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started doing the thing where you're like, uh, uh. <laughs> there was eight movies of that. It's looking constipated. <laughs> that is good. And uh, like a great actor, Chris, uh, a person who knows actors, took a swig of the of the Diet Pepsi just as he said that. As he said that. <laughs> eight movies of him looking constipated. Swig. <laughs> Turn to camera, wink. Yeah, that's and my, it's, my it's, mic drop. <laughs> well, we, let's get back to where we were before we, we got onto sodas, which is always a great topic. Um, we're talking about your short film, Ida. I, I wanted to say it right. It's not, it's A-I-D-A. And it's, I don't want it, it it's, I thought it was a name, but it, when I came, I came to find out watching the short that you sent me, that it's actually a word in Japanese. I don't want to say what the word means, although everyone can Google it. Um, because it kind of it, it's a very important element to the plot, it turns out. Yeah, and um, good job pronouncing it um, correctly. Uh, a lot of people um, they think it is the the name of the uh, lead uh, our lead actor um, uh, in the movie, the character, um, but uh, it's actually a Japanese word, and um, yeah, and it has a significant meaning to it. So um, um, it's just sort of like what the uh, our our um, our characters going through. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, they, they, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways over the last year, um, in the festival circuit, Aida and, um, Ada and things like that. But yeah, it's Ida. Uh, I do have the, I have a whole bunch of questions I wanted to ask. The first question I want to ask is who do you think you are making me cry? Like I did when I watched your movie. That's what I want to know. Where do you get off? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Should have warned you. I know. I'm sorry. I was not ready for the emotional impact this short. Now I should have been ready because if I, you know, if you've seen Noble Fur, uh, it's very much a character study about a a, a, a person who's going through uh, some, uh, um, well, you you might say um, emotional trauma mm-hmm. uh, and dealing with loss and grief, and uh, so I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know why this would be any different. I don't know why I went into this thinking. Uh, and it's it, and here's to say, let me let me say this about the the Chris sent me a screener and he said because I wanted to talk about it. And he said, you know, I'm going to send you a screener so we can discuss it. Um, it's 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 clocks in at under ten minutes with credits. Um, but this packs an emotional wallop, and it's not um, necessarily a downer. It's not necessarily, but it's just. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have some feelings when you're when you're done with this with this uh, with this short film and it's um, for me in comparing the two in Noble Fur and 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 this short film um, uh, they were they were similar in a lot of ways but there were also some differences not just in the way that you shot it but also just in um, I not the outlook but um, just sort of the the examination of each character did you did you did you come at this in a different way than you did with noble fur or it's a good question i've we've done several interviews since um the movie hit the uh, circuit but uh i haven't talked to a lot of people that have seen noble fur as well um as as this film so um uh i when when you're saying that i am sort of thinking that yeah the the um it has a similar um, feel in, in the sense that 
it it is it is sort of sad and it's dealing with a sad subject, but it's also I, I like to think hopeful at the end. Sort of yes, um, very hopeful. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's kind of I guess the stories I'm drawn to. Um, the, type of stories I'll, I'll probably be telling whether I'm aware of it or not, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I had no, um, no intention to make it, uh, in any way like cohesive with noble fur or, or yeah, or even, you know, do the same thing. Um, but, uh, it's just, uh, I really set out to make a, what felt, well, I hadn't made a short before. And so I was curious about how I would do with that and, and what, what the challenges of that would be. And I actually found it extremely challenging, um, with, uh, making a feature, there's a lot more room to breathe and there's a lot more room to, um, sort of, um, live in moments and stuff. And, um, uh, with this, I, I, I just wanted it to feel, um, like, like a song or a, or a poem where mm-hmm. it really came together at the end and it, um, had a good um, balance to the to the front end of the movie, and um, so that was sort of what I set out to do. And then the subject matter um, was um, something that was more uh, personal to myself and my um, actress. Something that we've um, experienced um, in terms of the tragedy um, or the, the the sadness she's feeling. But um, but yeah, uh, didn't really set out to um, you know again connect it to noble fur at all. Yeah, I felt emotionally they were some of the characters were in a weird way. It, it's almost like the the main character in your short is kind of trapped by her circumstances because there really isn't there isn't going to be a happy ending, but she finds happiness in that moment. Yeah, and that there's a, there's a she she seems in in a lot of ways more optimistic than your character from uh, Noble Fur. That's just for me, you know, comparing the two. Yeah. And for me, you know, you're not comparing them because you're doing, like you said, you're trying to deal with the challenges of what can I put into this short? How can I make this? How can I tell the story? And as a person watching um, and who knows you and who also kind of was around for watching everything you went through to make Noble Fur, I, you know, I was very much privy to a lot of your conversations about the things that were happening and you trying to get funding and how things were going and filming and things like that. And uh, not really know anything about this and just kind of see it already fully formed kind of gave me a different perspective, I think. But, Mm. uh, but since I know you, I'm looking for those things. I'm looking for, you know, how is this similar to his previous work? And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's interesting. I, I like, I enjoy hearing it from someone who's seen both, um, both the films I wrote and directed because, uh, yeah, there are, you know, some, I guess some similarities that are, coming out but um but i de- um yeah i would say the end of uh noble fur if you've seen it has a the the the, the nature of the two characters uh and ida and noble fur are vastly different mm-hmm. uh, he's he, uh in noble fur he's uh uh suffering from uh um a, a trauma and a loss and he's pushing everybody away and avoiding um something and this character in ida is actually doing the opposite she's craving um um just feedback and connection with her um, loved ones and um but um it sort of has that hopeful i think um you know uh note at the end and like you said uh she found hope in the she finds hope in the um uh just how she's processing it and and how she uh and she, she found something to hang 
hope on to, you know, um, and to, uh, to find beauty in, um, mm-hmm. r- rather than, uh, you know, yeah, I don't want to, I'm speaking too vaguely about it for people who haven't seen it, but, uh, um, it, it does kind of rely on, um, the, uh, the, the end, um, yeah. you know, sort of br- tying it together and, and what that, the mystery of the end is. Well, what's funny is, uh, when I was watching it, I realized that, it, and it is subtitled it's in Japanese, and uh, it's subtitled. And I noticed there was there was a very adroit use of uh, subtitles or lack thereof, because at one point you stop the subtitles completely, and then later on you 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 find out what was said in that moment, and you're like, well, there it there it all is. It all comes together in that moment at the very end and uh, oh cool good catch yeah, and, I'm, I'm really happy you caught that well I also caught the the, the similarity in um, in her preparing there's two scenes where she's preparing something one is uh, a, oh man it, nobody has caught that it won't get, it won't give anything away but it's it, you know why because I'm in the I'm in a situation and I don't want to I'm I'm not where she is but I'm at the point where you know, you get to a certain point in life and you're in between two stages and that's kind of where I am, you know? And for mm-hmm. her, it happens to her a lot younger. Her, her, her character happens to be younger when this happens. So yeah, I noticed those two similarities there, very strong. You know, there's a, there's an emphasis on her preparing something for one person and then preparing something for another person. Um, yeah, well said. Uh, th- th- I actually um, uh, purposely shot the same amount of angles for both those preparations. Mm-hmm. And I think, I hope subconsciously for the viewer, it, it feels that's part of what feels balanced about it. But, uh, nobody specifically has mentioned that before that, that they, that there was, that was intentional and cause it, it, it was, and it's sort of a, a tragic, sad thing that just how, how, just how life is and how we, um, tend to, you know, revert back to how do you call it? The, just, Needing, needing. I'm trying. I'm tiptoeing around, giving away that. Well, you know, let me me tell you something. If if you're a little annoyed that we're being so vague, let me tell you. When you finally see this movie, if you get a chance to see it, you'll be happy we didn't give anything away. Um, And uh, it's. uh, I I don't want to take too much credit because it took me till this. I watched it a couple of times, and it was the second time that I caught the. Uh, caught the similarity between the those two scenes, so I don't want you to think that I'm just you know. Uh, I mean that's still good. I, I think uh, yeah, when you when you watch a movie for the first time, you're just absorbing it, and you're and you're not looking for clues or, or tips or or even uh, little symbolic you know moments. And then you feel you know hopefully you have uh, a feeling after it's over, um, and you can't quite describe it, you can't quite put your finger on it. Then you watch it again, and you see how the person making it might have uh, manipulated things in such a way that it, that it gave you that impression at the end of well, the experience. Well, if you, if you were concerned at all, Chris, and this is just from not, not, not a critical standpoint, just as a person who, you know, loves to watch movies, if you're concerned about whether or not you were able to pull this off, I will tell you that this re- it really stayed with me uh, after I watched it. And so much so that I, I woke up this morning and I was like, I gotta, I'm going to watch it again both in preparation for the podcast, but also because I wanted to see it again. I wanted to see the details and I wanted to see all the stuff you had done. And, and, um, it, it, to me, it's, it's up there with the very best short form stuff. Like, you know, uh, I was thinking in my mind, this is like almost like a Flannery O'Connor story or, you know, like in the, and even though there's no comparison, but almost like a, a, like a Looney Tunes cartoon where it's like, we've got 10 minutes, 
um, what can we do with this 10 minutes? And you use every minute of those of your of that film uh, tells part of the story. And I wanted to, to talk about your, your actor, uh, Kiko, Kiko mm-hmm. Wilson, uh, who is the daughter of Richard Wilson, who was the star of Noble Fur. So there's also that pedigree there. She was so good because someone pointed out to me years ago, I, I read a quote somewhere that said, that peop, uh, a critic said that Gary Cooper was the best of the actors because he's the only one that looked like he was thinking. It's just sort of a weird thing to say, but uh, if you think about it, someone who's deep in thought has a certain look on their, you know, there's a certain look when you, you, when you catch someone deep in thought, when you know they're not just staring blankly or they haven't zoned out, when they're really deep in thought. Every moment of this short film, every moment of these 10 minutes, she looks like she's really thinking about her circumstances. And so much is conveyed in just her face, the way you shot her and, the, and what comes across. Was that intentional or was that something that you, as you were working with her, that sort of came about? Yeah, so that's, yeah, good, good question. I'm glad that you, um, you know, you felt that way about her performance because she was incredible with um, how much she does when she's not doing anything, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, when she's not really asked to deliver a line or, or not her expressions and her, um, uh, the way she uses her just instrument of her face is just, it was incredible. And I was so excited the first day after we shot and I got it back and I, you know, pulled up what we shot and she, uh, there are certain people when you see them, you're like, Oh, they, they look a certain way. They, they might look good on camera or whatever. But then as soon as you put them on camera, you're like, they're made for the camera. It's great. And her dad is the exact same way. I remember, getting the dailies back from uh first day of shooting noble fur and i i was he just yeah the camera loves him he just looks like a, a, a movie star and that, that was uh um or or just a good character actor you know it just uh yeah and she and kiko's the exact same way and um kiko is um is a is a real pro she actually has a lot more experience than her dad did when we hired him for noble fur she is um she's been acting and performing and singing um for um, since I think she was quite a bit younger, uh, maybe even in middle school or something, but mm-hmm. she, she's, um, this been on a lot of, um, like children's shows in, in Japan. So uh, kind of Disney channelist shows. Um, well, I think when I moved to Tokyo, she was one of the co-hosts of, uh, Tokyo's version of Hollywood squares. She, oh. um, she played like sort of the, the Vanna white in that scenario. So she has a, a, a great deal of acting experience, um, and singing experience, but, um, I uh, specifically wrote this for her, uh, one, because she um, was ready to, um, she was looking to do something a little bit more um, grown up because, like I said, she does do a lot of uh, like kind of children um, fair and uh, she does great at that. But I think she wanted to um, stretch a little bit and, and, um, and try something a little bit more um, uh, subtle and maybe even dramatic. So, um, Well, honestly, she, I would have never known that that was her pedigree watching this. She looks like, you know, this is like a thing that if, if the, if the right people see this, you know, this is, this could open a lot of doors for her because of how well, I mean, so far the, the film is being well received, by the way, congratulations. It's on the festival circuit now. And, but, but a lot of that has to do with the way you directed her as well. I mean, you, you, it's there. I mean, the, the raw talent is there, but. I was wondering if you had problems since Japanese isn't your native uh, language. I'm assuming Kiko is bilingual because her, her dad is uh, American. And by the way, if you want to hear an interview with Richard, uh, 
go back in the archives. We I, I'll actually have to find the link to that. But Richard was kind enough to come on our show when you guys were promoting um, uh, Noble Fur, and he was he was a very interesting guy. He's yeah. very, he's, he's a really interesting guy. Was it was it a challenge for you? to what were you looking for as far as you couldn't rely on how she was delivering her lines, obviously, because Japanese isn't your native language. What were you looking for as the director? Yeah, that's uh, actually was part of the appeal. Uh, one, I hadn't made a short film before, and my wife got a job in, in Tokyo, which took us to Japan, and um, I have a production company, and um, I mostly do commercials and ads and whatnot. But while in Tokyo, I was getting a little restless uh, just editing projects because uh, my functioning production company was still working. And I would send um, uh, just a couple of my um, colleagues there to film. And then I would edit. Well, anyway, I was missing my camera. I was missing filming. And so I really wanted to make something with this amazing backdrop of Tokyo. And um, Tokyo is a lot like um, shooting in the U.S., whereas you're not, if you're not disturbing the general public and, and traffic, no one's going to really um, mess with you or bother you, and, and as long as your camera and stuff small enough. So uh, when um, I set out to uh, make the film, I basically was like, okay, I have this amazing talent right here. I'd be foolish to leave Japan without making something. Um, and uh, what was your original question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was asking if what difficulties were presented by directing some someone in a language oh, yeah. you know, yes. what Thank were you, you looking for yeah so i i went uh way to the beginning to just explain that so anyway so i i thought uh, okay i want to make something i have an amazing actress i have this um this idea that's very personal and then i thought you know what i always wanted to do i always wanted to make something in a foreign language something i didn't understand to see if that would change my how i directed it and how i how i viewed a good performance and i don't know about you but sometimes um have you watched a foreign film and, and you thought, I think that performance is good, but I can't really tell because <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can trust myself because some of the nuances, and I've had these conversations with people that speak the language and they say, oh, that, no, we, he's, they're not very great or whatever. And so I, I found that interesting and, and I thought, well, what makes a good performance? And, and because sometimes you pick up on subtleties and nuances of a delivery if you speak the language and if you're mm-hmm. you know, from the area, even if you're, if you're, let's say, from New York and you're making um, you know, your entire cast and crew, writer, everybody's from like, you know, Manhattan, and you're making a movie and uh, set in Texas, like, you're gonna get some things wrong, you know, some like nuance of the of the uh, of the speech, the language, uh, the, the way people behave. You're gonna get it a little bit off. It's not gonna be as authentic, I think. And so, I was curious how that would affect the way I. Uh, approached the directing. And so she actually, um, Kiko, was uh, very, I relied on her heavily for um, translating everything. So I I gave her this script in English and sat down with her, the the actor that plays her husband, her sister, uh, Megumi, was actually in the movie as well, Richard's other other daughter, and um, she has a small role. And they sat down and just sort of um, we, we had a, a sort of a table um, discussion um, about how the lines were playing, how um, sometimes something that sounds innocuous in the English language will actually sound pretty aggressive, you know, in Japanese or vice versa. So um, we were trying to do that. And uh, the thing I wanted to get accurate was the sort of uh, temperament and demeanor of the, of the characters. And from what I've seen after living there for, uh, at that point, a year and a half, and um, especially the way that spouses interact, 
that was a uh, something I really wanted to um, to get right. And um, and Kiko just was so helpful in that. And she would say, you know what? I think he, I think he would say, I think he would say it like this, or I don't think he would look at me here. And and that was actually really really helpful. And I completely trusted their their advice on that, um, which was um, yeah. I mean, it was necessary. And then I handled the rest. But uh, the I think trusting the taste of the of the people that you're working with is really important. Um, I'd say that m- might be the number one important element to picking a um, a creative partner is making sure that you share the same like taste. And uh, Kiko has great taste in you know um, art and um, films and music and stuff. So I, I felt like we were in good hands. There were two things I wanted to mention, and you just kind of brought them up. That scene with her husband was, uh, for me, I was wondering how much you draw it upon your own experience as a husband, because the scene where he's kind of giving her this advice, and he's almost doing it offhandedly, because the last thing he says, and it won't give anything away, he's, he's trying to fix his tie. And I assumed on the video that he, I assumed when I was watching it that he was watching a tie how to tie a tie video on his phone. <laughs> That's what I, like in my mind, I was like, cause we've all done that. It's like, he's watching a YouTube video. And then at the end, you know, he's having this kind of serious semi, a conversation that you can tell is very serious to her, but he, him in the most offhanded husband way. And, and you know, the, from the male perspective, and I'm, I'm sure this is, this is true across all cultures, not mm-hmm. just uh, Japanese, not just American, that men want to fix the problem and sometimes women just want to talk about it. But men are like, no, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to tell you. And it's almost this offhand way that he delivers what ends up being really good advice to her. But yeah. he, he does it in a very offhanded way. And then at the end, just says something you know, completely like it's almost like he wasn't paying attention the whole time. He goes, wow, this tie is really long. And then just like walks off. I was wondering if that was something that you, I think we've all done that in marriage. I think husbands do it. Wives. I think husbands do it more than wives. But you're kind of like there's been conversations, I'm sure, where you're not tuned in 100 percent. I think you're absolutely right. It, it's uh, that's not cultural specific i think that uh, it's it's the case everywhere uh there's just sort of uh yeah i mean uh we definitely had discussions about how spouses tend to interact in tokyo specifically and Mm -hmm. um and that was a little bit of the uh in there but um for the most part i think um like you nailed it with um him feeling a little bit um just want to fix the problem only half invested in what she's saying Mm -hmm. uh and yeah, fiddling with his own project at the time, and <laughs> and then and actually, he he thinks she's talking about something else, and and she, in a, in, a, in a small sense, she is, but then she but she was really talking about you yeah know, what you find out at the end, mm-hmm. and so he uh, he sort of um, misses the boat, but accidentally delivers yeah. a little bit of a, <laughs> of a nugget of uh, wisdom, yeah. like a typical husband just like stumbles into the right answer. Yeah, I think we've all. All husbands have been there, and you, yeah, you're, you're like, oh, that helped. Oh, good. I don't remember the conversation. <laughs> uh, and then also, Kiko did the music for the for the uh, the short. Is that right? Yes. So there, um, there, there's a lullaby in the film, and it's a Japanese lullaby. And I actually had the film finished um, months before we, or I, I had it written months before we actually started shooting, and. It, it's because I couldn't find the right song. The song is a, such an important um, element of the movie. And uh, Kiko sings the song in the movie. It's not a musical in any way. It's just a lullaby. And she, um, 
But uh, I, I needed it to be a song that um, felt familiar to anybody who heard it, no matter where you're at in the world, but also um, uh, something new. So I didn't, um, like, I started asking some people what, you know, Japanese lullabies they knew and what they grew up with and what they heard and all this stuff. And, and a lot of them were just um, um, American lullabies that had been um, just translated. Converted. Um, like, yeah. Almost everybody said Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star. And, um, and I, I, it, that has no no uh, emotional impact for me, no meaning to me. Uh, and it felt just, it almost felt forced. And so I, I was pretty discouraged um, after writing this because I knew how much the song um, was, how important it was to the movie and to this, the success of the, the movie. So I, I think one night I was laying in bed and I thought, let me just start combing through YouTube um, again to see if I could find some old Japanese lullabies. And um, I had already done this and, I think I was about 16 pages deep on YouTube on Japanese lullabies. And I finally hit one. I think it was like three in the morning and I hit one and it comes on and the recording was really corny. It was really cheesy delivery and it had a bunch of uh, accent noises, like sounds like baby cooing and all this stuff in the background. This just sounded really bad, but I could hear the melody. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, if Kiko sang this, it would be, I think it would be great. So I actually sent her the, um, the the song and she recorded uh, something on her phone acapella and sang it and I I got like goosebumps and I was like this is it this is the one it feels like I've heard the song a hundred times uh, well now I have but like when I first heard it I felt like I had heard it before <laughs> but I didn't know yeah but I hadn't and so um, that worked and then I I translated the lyrics and then I knew for sure it was the, the one so I think that was a little uh, you know, divine gift there because. Um, I don't know if I would have made the movie if I didn't find the right song. So yeah, that was uh that really did have some impact. And again, very, very, very um, specific to the circumstances of the characters in the film. You know what's cool is nobody knows that song in Japan except for um, grandparents. Oh wow! I mean, from from my experience, I've asked numerous people, and I've we've we've played in Japan and. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've I've heard like oh I didn't know it, but then uh, pretty much anybody um, over fifty I think um, or half people over fifty is said that their grandparents sang it to them. So yeah, that's really, that really, really ties cool. everything together. Then uh, even that's even even better for the knowing that that makes the the ending even better. Um, yeah. And did she did the did she do the score as well? No. Oh, it's, oh, no, no. That was um, a song that I had licensed um, for it. And, okay. Um, it was a song that I had in my back pocket, actually, for another movie. And um, and I was just playing around, and I laid it down over the movie, and I thought, well, this is this is it. This yeah, is it's, it's perfect. It was <laughs> yeah. perfect, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to, uh, to, to touch briefly on shooting in Tokyo because there are – there is a, a a a a sequence where she travels from one part of mm-hmm. Tokyo to the other. Uh, how hard was that to do on the streets of Tokyo? Like you said, you said pretty much nobody bothers you. So is it just you and 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 Kiko out on the streets of Tokyo, or did you have a crew with you? What was the? So this was a really I, I we the amount the budget for this movie was the cost of train tickets. Um, so I and I, I bought Kiko's. Um, wardrobe i mean which was one outfit it's one it happens in one day it's it was really uh really low budget so uh we it was just me camera and kiko most of the time 
um, all the times that she's with somebody were in, um, were in, you know, borrowed locations, uh, people's houses. But, um, uh, yeah, it was not difficult filming there. There, um, they, I got a lot of, um, we get a lot of, um, Oh, YouTubers, you know, they would yell, people would say that or, uh, but, uh, Tokyo is swarming with YouTubers. <laughs> they, that's what they call them. There. Like they, they, everybody, so many people have a camera. Um, and as long as you're not disrupting traffic or uh, interfering with things, you're, you're pretty good to go. Um, and people will do wild sketches in like some of the more um, popular areas. Um, there's this crosswalk in Tokyo. It's the busiest crosswalk in the world. I think a million people a day cross it. And uh, people will run out there in the middle of the, the red light and they'll, they'll bring like an office desk and they'll sit down and they'll act like they're conducting like an interview. They'll do some, so many sketches out there. It's, it's crazy. So we were the least of anybody's concern, I think. Um, um, however, um, we did do one that was um, nerve wracking and, um, and we had to be very delicate with um, we actually did um, steal uh, shots from um, an actual um, assisted living um, home, oh. um, like a uh, place. Mm-hmm. And um, it happened to be near um, Kiko's house. So what, what saved us is they had a cafe, a restaurant inside for mm-hmm. families visiting. So we didn't have to actually go into the, the wings and the wards. And so I, um, we just went there and had um, – we brought actually uh, Ke- uh, Kiko's dad, Richard, with us, and um, we just uh, yeah he had him um, order a pizza, and he sat down, and then Kiko and I would, when no one was around, would just essentially go out and get a couple shots really quick, as delicately as possible, and um, and then there's we needed to show that there was an assisted living home um, at one point, and so um, yeah they uh, and I think that comes across because it was a real, real location. Yeah, and, yeah and, I um, was as I was watching it, I was wondering how you did those shots. There's a really great, and they all feel very organic. Nothing feels, it feels like it was shot on the streets, uh, but but uh, but very smooth camera. It didn't feel like like something guerrilla style. It felt like all those shot, those shots were set up, uh, but but at the same time, looking at the background actors, you could tell. Okay, these people don't obviously have no idea. They're being filmed. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you picked up on a lot. Yeah, the it was actually uh, twenty degrees that day, so it was really hard to make the to get to the camera to look like I wasn't running, gunning gorilla style because we were freezing and we were <laughs> we kept having to do this entrance to the place, and um, uh, poor Kiko was uh, her teeth were chattering the whole time. Um, it was it was a very cold winter day, but um, uh, yeah, it worked out, and uh, I spent significant amount of time in um those type of um facilities just visiting relatives and whatnot so i uh definitely was um conscious and uh, of um not being disrespectful there and also um just not not being a nuisance you know so we um and kiko's such a sweetheart that she just was uh yeah she, she definitely had the same kind of mentality and we we got in and out without anybody knowing so no, it, it it, cool. those scenes are amazing and um again uh watching uh uh, Kiko Wilson. Um, it's a revelation to watch someone uh, act that way. You know uh, what you brought up watching people in, in foreign, you know, watching people in foreign films and wondering if they're giving a good performance with someone like, let's say like a Toshiro Mofune, when you watch him in a Kurosawa movie, it's obvious, right? It's obvious that he's, you know, this larger than life kind of character. Or when I first saw like Chow Yun-Fat in John Woo's movies, like mm-hmm. that charisma, comes off the screen but those are kind of larger than life characters this is such a subtle performance 
that it's, uh, it, but it's in another language. And so you're watching her and you're wondering. Yeah. How do you feel when, um, you, you're familiar with an actor who, um, who's usually acting in their native language and then they, there's, you know, using an English script and they're, you know, um, now transitioning into, uh, you know, a, 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 a American movie. Um, do you feel that something's lost there? And do you feel that they're sort of struggling with the lines more? Or do you feel that sometimes the performance is actually like, you know, their, their skill and their acting translates? Um, well, I mean, I, I'll look, if, it, it depends on the role. You know, it depends, you know, a lot of these, let's say somebody like a Toshiro Mifune never gets to be an actor. It's like, well, guess, well, now you're Toshiro Mifune, so you're a huge star. So now you're going to be, and now you're going to be Admiral Yamamoto in Midway. And there's only one way to play Admiral Yamamoto, right? You're going to be, you know, you're going to be very serious and we've got to, you know, we're going to blow this up and do this, but there's not much acting there. So it's, I think the, the unfortunate thing about Hollywood and American movies is when, when we do, when they do get a hold of, of a foreign star, they don't necessarily know how to use them. Yeah. Um, but look at look at what Ang Lee did with Chow Yun Fat in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, great example. Yeah, you, you look, you know, or look at Michelle Yeoh, who is mm-hmm. this this action star, and then they use her in Tomorrow Never Dies, and she speaks the language, but it's kind of a wasted role. They don't give her yeah anything so to I, do. The, I think it really comes down to the, uh, the quality of the uh, direction in the in the script because uh, sometimes they just don't do them a very good service by. Um, uh, you're just having them say the lines, you know, yeah, or, or, or maybe not knowing how to how to direct them and let them be do their thing. Yeah. Because, like you said, Crouching Tiger did everything right in terms of performances. As someone who, and not to sound like a film snob, but as someone who uh, doesn't shy away from stuff like silent movies, I feel like a lot of that performance is inherent. Even if you're even if you're not familiar with the culture or the circumstances, I think that a good performance comes across because. Um, it transcends the language barrier or the cultural barrier. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like that's the performance I saw here. I, I, really so I, I, I think I'm in agreement with you is that it's, it's more of a shortcoming of the, of the directors not knowing how to find a balance than, than it is the performer. Because the performer has it in them. They can yeah. do that in any, of any language, essentially. You know? um, I mean, there's plenty of great movies where the two characters can't understand each other, and um, they're both delivering awesome performances. You know? No, I, I, like I said, this, is, this, this movie, the way you directed it, and that's why I wanted to ask. I wanted to get to that to find out how difficult it was for you to direct in a foreign language because the performance came through in this and the performance really, you know, and, and a lot of that is obviously her and her talent, but a lot of it is also you, you knew what, which shots to use, you know, you knew what she was giving you and you knew which shot to use and, and putting those together, uh, I think, you know, and the, gave the, the results were fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So on that note, I, one of my litmus tests was going to be how it was received in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I was very nervous about writing characters for whom I didn't speak the language, you know, and um, and I wanted to get that right. And again, I relied heavily on the cast to to reimagine um, the um, and just kind of you know restate what, what I wrote. But um, the uh, also getting the the cultural elements just perfect so that when pe- someone sees it, they don't think that oh, this is this person doesn't understand us or, sure. or doesn't understand, um, yeah, you know, that type of thing. And then also just sticking with what 
you know, is what we know, just covering the stuff that's like honest and truthful about, you know, people and who we are and stuff. And so, um, my, my big fear was that I was going to be completely, you know, rejected or shunned by, you know, Japanese art, uh, festivals or, or judges and stuff. So, um, but we actually got into, um, well, one festival in Japan, so which was really nice, and we won the audience award there. We we've gotten into many, many more U.S. festivals. I mean, there are a lot more, but also um, we've been rejected by more Japanese festivals than we have U.S. festivals. And, <laughs> um, and uh, so my actress and I, will, you know, we've talked about that. Um, and uh, it, I think it has more to do with actually, I don't, I haven't quite pinpointed what it has to do with yet. And um, and I, I mean, festivals are really hard to get into. Sure. It's, like for example, we've we've gotten into festivals where there was fifteen hundred submissions, and they only accepted you know twenty films. Sure. So, um, but then, yeah, we won't get into something that feels just right for for the for the character for the movie. But um, um, it's it's just one of those things. So I I uh, but yeah, I was I was sort of like you know if if I can have Japanese juries accept this, then I feel like I've I've done it done a good job and done right by that and. That was, and so I was really, really happy when we got into um, – there's this uh, festival called Tokyo Liftoff Film Festival that we got into. And um, that was uh, – I had actually – I went to that festival a few times when I lived there and it, I really enjoyed it. So I was really happy to get in there. And yeah, we were fortunate enough to win the audience award there. Now, that, that must mean something because that means you connected. I mean, it's the audience. It's not you know judges, not critics. It's people who are yeah. – you know, so that, that must have been very, very special for you. I, yeah, it, it definitely was. I, I'm – I really wanted that for our um, cast and crew too, because they they all live in Japan. Um, but I think I think the big thing, if I'm being super candid about that, that might have it lose points with um, Japanese juries, is that we um, it's a very um, uh, culturally diverse cast, and I think that might have um, thrown them off a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're not all Japanese, and 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 if they are, then they're um, like uh, Kiko is half Caucasian, half Japanese. And, um, her, her child looks, uh, doesn't look half Caucasian, half Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I think that, that tends to be a, um, I, I think something people will pay attention to in, in Japan. So yeah, that yeah. might just feel inauthentic maybe in terms of just the casting. But, mm-hmm. um, I didn't, uh, that was the least of my worries. I was more concerned about just having a uh, great, uh, performances and, and the right people to play off each other. Um, but uh, and we come from more of a melting pot, I think, in the in the states. Sure. Um, so yeah. You know, it's funny that the culturally, you know, that does make a difference in how a, a movie is received. You know, it's this is such a horrible example, but uh, gr- having grown up on on you know the, when I was growing up, the main uh, the main export of Japanese cinema was Godzilla movies, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we used to you know when you're a kid, the the big the the fun of a Godzilla movie is watching them blow up these models and, and destroy these cities, and they never look realistic. Even as a kid, you know their toys. But somebody pointed out to me that Jap- it's not that the Japanese didn't know or that they they couldn't do a better job. It's the idea of craftsmanship that they were showing. Like, look what we did to make this movie. We built these little tanks and they, they they're incredibly detailed they fire and they do all this stuff and we're going to blow them up and it's like this whole thing about how that's perceived to the audience mm-hmm. um or that's how that's perceived by the audience like look at the craftsmanship that went into making this movie and you don't think about that you know you just think ah ha, ha, look at look how cheap this is so you know maybe there is something there culturally that you say that you you kind you can't put your finger on as a as an outsider but you know, Japanese uh, audiences, for whatever reason, might not be 
as willing to accept, uh, not because it's an insult or because they, but just because it's just, it's not the way they do things. It's not the cultural norm. So yeah, uh, per, perhaps. Yeah. But I, I, now, I go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was, I would love to, I would love to show you around Tokyo cause you would just love the, uh, there's, um, there's some really cool, uh, monuments to Godzilla there. Um, there's this, uh, one theater it's called, uh, Toho cinemas and, um, they have a, uh, a, life-size uh godzilla um on uh on the side of the building it stretches up i think five floors and then you you can actually go up to this rooftop and be eye level with him and he um his eyes light up every hour i think um so you can see from all over the city and it's gigantic and then in my neighborhood that i lived in we had a uh gigantic king kong that um it's as uh he's He's uh, it's really w- strange. He's he's on top of a building, so you see his. Um, it kind of reminds me of Universal Studios, but mm-hmm. he's coming out of the top of this. Um, I would say another five story building, and he uh, his arm is reaching down all the way to the first floor. Uh, it's it's stretching, and in his hand he has a little uh, blonde girl with pigtails, and in, <laughs> in in the hand, and she's probably like five years old. So I I don't know what, I don't remember that in any of the Kong movies, but maybe. But so he's he's like holding her up, and he's got this weird smile on his face, but he's gigantic. Uh, he's a, again life size Kong, um, and uh, I don't know what that building used to be, but now it is a um, MMA fighting, uh, uh, and and like uh, it's basically a bunch of martial art, um, like dojos um that's crazy down. yeah so and and then they have this big king kong draped over their building so um, but to get to the top you have to like game of death your way through all the mmas video game level you have to get to the boss at the end to yeah, fight kong. Yeah, you, yeah, that's to do. you go through five different levels of martial different martial arts <laughs> <laughs> practices uh that's your next movie by the way you're welcome um, uh, that's a good idea <laughs> No, honestly, Chris, this was uh, this this movie was a joy for me to to just uh, because I know, like I said, I, you know, I know having seen your struggles with uh, with with Noble Fur and then not knowing anything about this because you were living in Japan uh, during this time um, to see you come home with this finished product and it just it it blew me away. Like I said, for for a short oh, film, cool. uh, it was just I would have liked this even if if uh, you know I didn't know the director. Honestly, it was it was it it. It really threw me for a loop. I was not. A, I was not ready for it. Um, <laughs> so you should be proud, and, and your and your cast should be proud. Do you think that part of the reason maybe that you're? At, I have two questions here. Uh, first of all, did anyone recognize Kiko when you were out filming, while you were on the streets of Tokyo? Did you get recognized? So I have a good story about that. Um, I don't know on the streets of Tokyo. People typically don't fan out like they do here. Okay. Um, so. They, if they did, they were subtle about it. However, um, the we needed a baby for the film, and um, <laughs> I didn't. I, I've only lived there for a year and a half. I didn't know a lot of people, but my wife's coworker, who was a um, international news anchor, we we became very close with their their a family, and um, they have two little girls, and they um, nicknamed Tess and Lila, and then they just have welcomed a baby brother. Um, they call him Coco. They're just the sweetest family. And I, I said, uh, one time, uh, my wife came home and I was like, Hey, I really, do you think, uh, her name is I, uh, the, uh, um, our friend anchor. Um, I said, do you think I would, um, possibly let us use, um, Coco for, uh, an afternoon for, uh, the, this movie. And then she said, I'll ask. And she, so she came back and she said, she said, Oh yeah, of course. She goes, I'll just, I'll just hang out in the other room. She goes, uh, 
she goes, um, you can pick them up. You can walk them around the house. Uh, uh, she's like, we're hippies. We don't care or whatever. Something <laughs> like that. And it was just like, so, so funny and, uh, sweet. And, uh, and then we, we went over there, uh, with Kiko and, um, I don't think I knew that it was Kiko Wilson or if she didn't put it together till she saw her. But then she said, um, oh my gosh, my daughters are at school and they are going to flip out that Kiko Wilson was in, um, in their house. And, um, and so we, we were, uh, we were just laughing about that. And, uh, she said, they're going to go nuts. And so, but, so we, we filmed the scene with the baby and, uh, the baby is like so ridiculously cute. Um, it was really easy to work with. And, and, um, I just went, yeah, went into the other room and kind of, um, uh, let us do our thing real quick. And, um, and, uh, it was pretty brief. And then, uh, and then, uh, um, I think the next day we did a, um, we get a, I, I got a, a, a picture, uh, um, sent to me and it was of their youngest daughter watching Kiko on the show that she watches every day. And, um, I think she said something like, I still haven't told her yet. It would, it would break her heart or whatever, <laughs> but we actually got a picture with them with all three of them, um, later on. Oh, um, nice. Maybe it, was, maybe it was just Lila and, and, um, and Kiko, but I'll have to send you that picture. It's really cute. And yeah, the, the little girl's beaming. Um, oh, that's so, yeah. great. She, she did get to meet her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted she, that. I wanted that ending. They got a photo. So it was great. And then so, uh, I was, I was going to say, and then do you think that maybe the fact that Kiko is sort of a, of a, a, a kind of a, a TV star or is known for a certain type of work in Japan, do you think that might be a reason that maybe people are, not accepting the film, like maybe you know, this, she's you know, they don't see her as someone serious enough. Is yeah, that could that be maybe? I don't know. I mean, or is that more honestly? Is that probably more, more like okay. Hollywood snobbery? Like, hey, we're not gonna, yeah, Ivana White's not gonna make a movie. I can, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not impossible, but um, I, I probably, I, I'm pretty sure it has to do with the, the um, yeah, the the sort of uh the it's it's it doesn't make a lot of sense i guess um uh the the, the way that uh we we cast everything uh, to, to people that would be really close to that would would understand that and say like how is this their mom how is this their you know that type of thing i think um they would notice that more than i would um uh, i i think and and so i, I i'm pretty sure how to do more of the the diverse casting okay um, um uh i mean I mean, and I don't also, I want to leave room for it just not being their cup of tea. That's definitely a possibility. Sure. But, um, um, I, it's just a, a curious uh, thing to think of in, in terms of when you're making something, whether, again, if I'm making something in, in Texas or Florida and I'm not from there, how many little nuances am I going to get wrong you know, sure. that are going to, are going to make people roll their eyes. I, I mean, I'll watch movies set in Oregon where I grew up or even California and, um, and I'll say, uh, you know, yeah, people aren't saying, uh, you know, gnarly dude all the time in California, <laughs> but they're still they're, they're still putting that in movies. You know, if you're if you're watching it, and, you know, a Canadian production, and the, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's like uh, so, like you're gonna get some things wrong. So I I, I think um, it has a little bit, possibly a little bit to do with that. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I'd be curious to find out how many of the um, festival juries were familiar with uh, Kiko's career or um, performances. Uh, how long did it take you to shoot the whole thing end to end, uh, Chris? Uh, so we had four shooting days, four or five, um, and and then um, I 
was in the middle of a move back to the States and I, um, ended up, uh, not being able to get around to editing it for a few months. So, um, uh, but, the, but the actual shoot was only five day shoot. And so. what were, what was Kiko's reaction uh, upon seeing it? Did is she, she pleased? She's, she's very happy with it. I think. Yeah. She, uh, she's actually won best actress twice now. Um, she's received yeah. two best actress awards oh. and we almost had a third, but, um, I was actually nominated. We were nominated for best picture, best, um, best director and best, uh, actress at this, um, San Diego film festival. And, um, we ended up losing, getting swept by Aaliyah Shawkat's, um, Holocaust movie. Um, <laughs> uh, the girl from Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, she, uh, and then that film was was haunting us because we got nominated at another festival, and then that film won as well. So I, I had a tiny bit of an experience of what it's like to uh, be facing against uh, um, you know a festival or no man land or something all, all year long. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. Like, Maybe this one will uh, will, <laughs> will award us. And like again, no man land, and I'm like, well, that was a seventy five thousand dollar Holocaust movie. Um, there's no way we're, we're going to be able to, with Aaliyah Shawkat in it. That, sure. It's going to be really hard to hold up to that. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you, you be proud of your work, uh, because it looked Thank like, so it looked like a million bucks. It really did. It, 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 it belied its, its low budget, uh, origins, uh, in, in the best possible way. You know, I wanted to ask you about Nomadland. Did you, uh, what did you think of that one? I, I love Nomadland. Um, and I, I love the way it was shot and, um, it's right up my, Right up my alley. That yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, they, she does something. Uh, Chloe Zhao, the uh, director, does something that I've always I've been doing for 15 years. I prefer it's my approach where you you take real competent actors and you pair them with um, just normal people. I mean, mm-hmm. um, um, non actors. And um, Ida and Noble Fur are filled with that. And um, so, I mean, she did it so just elegantly and beautiful. And, um, I mean, it's, it's awesome. So I, I really love that. And I loved, um, actually showed, um, Kiko, uh, uh, um, Chloe's first film, the writer, which I was a big fan of. And, um, and I was using that as a sort of a reference point for what I wanted to do. You know, it's a very big character study where the person, the, uh, the lead actor's face is sort of center frame, almost the whole movie, you know? And, um, so, uh, it really, um, yeah, pulls you into their inner struggle. And I, um, so she definitely uses my, uh, or I, sorry, I, we have the same approach and style to, uh, storytelling. So it, I was a big fan of that. It's funny because nothing in the conversations that we've had or the, the, the directors that you're a fan of would lead me to believe that you were going to make the kind of movies that you make. And that's not a slam. That's, true. that's no, not that's a slam. True. But you and I would, you know, we you're you're the opposite of someone like Spielberg who does these big spectacle special effects laden spectacles. Uh, but I'm a huge Spielberg fan. <laughs> but you're you're much more. Yeah. If you were gonna if you were gonna take any if there was one scene out of Spielberg that kind of, um, I would say uh, is a is is indicative of your work. It's the scene where Quint is telling the story about the USS Indianapolis and not necessarily the rest, the rest of Jaws, you know, uh, that would be the oh, one thing nice. that, that would be the <laughs> one thing I would say, you, you know, you, 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 
as a fan of Spielberg, it's funny that you, my brother and I, when we would watch Spiel, when we would watch Spielberg movies, we always picked up on the scenes that nobody else liked. We liked the scenes with the mayor in Jaws, mm -hmm. you know, where you know I want these, I want these little bastards hung up by their Buster Browns, yeah. or um, <laughs> we love the air traffic control scene in Close Encounters where they're just describing what's happening, but you're getting chills because, you know, they're the, you know, do you want to report a UFO? No, we don't want to report one either. Um, it's all these little it. moments that he knows how to do that you, they get lost in, in the, in the bigger, in the bigger scale of the things that he does. Yeah. Uh, those are a hundred percent the moments that I connect to as well. Um, and so that's really the kind of work that you're, that you're putting out is those, those moments magnified across, you know, uh, you know, blown up and, and, you know, in this one, it's, you know, it's only 10 minutes, but like I said, it, it packs a, a lot of punch. So what, what's the future for, for Ida? What, what, what is the future for the movie now? Okay. So right now we are on the, um, 2020 was a bit of a, um, Normally, you'd have a festival that would um, run for a year and then maybe spill over into the next year, and then you're, um, you know, you've, you've, um, that's the lifespan of that movie, and then you either sell it or find it a home, you know, um, mm -hmm. to, to live on. Um, so um, with short films, you can't really sell them necessarily. Uh, a lot of airlines will buy short films and they'll and they'll put it out there, and then um, they'll do things like that, um, and uh, th there'll be a few. Um, you know, if it's really, really good and it's in the right vein, you know, you, you like Pixar or Disney has those type of things, but the, n mine doesn't fit any of those molds. So, um, basically you, you, you try to, um, uh, get, get into as many festivals as you can. It's a resume builder and then you find a home for it. And so I'm hoping to, um, there's a couple places that I'm hoping will accept our film to keep it, um, for viewing for anybody at any time. Um, Amazon just stopped um, allowing accepting short films, so they're they're no longer doing that. But uh, there's a few other places that I have in mind that will be a good home for it. But right now, we are currently still in the festival circuit. Uh, as I said, 2020, every most festivals went virtual, so um, I I didn't want I, I want to give um, our our cast and crew the um, the live festival experience, and that's where you it's the most valuable where you meet you know people, future collaborators future financiers. Um, so it's really important, the live festival experience. And so uh, we got to go to a two last year, but um, for the most part, they were um, all virtual. So I stretched the, um, our, hopefully our festival experience into 2021. And um, we just played in New York City for the first time. We had our New York premiere last week and um, that went well. And then um, they only accepted, I think, eight short films and they received around 800 submissions. So that was a pretty good uh, ratio. We were happy to be included there. And then uh, we have a, another Austin Film Festival that we got into. So it's our third film festival in Austin, which is really cool. That's happening in June. Then uh, we also are playing in Japan on the big screen um, at a live festival in October. It was in May, but that um, got uh, postponed because of um, the state of emergency they're having right now. So... Mm -hmm. um, uh, they they haven't been getting the vaccines um, like um, a lot of other places, so they are, they're slow to deliver them. So um, they uh, are going to wait till after the Olympics to do a big push. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, um, the uh, October is when it's going to be playing in in um, in Japan. But 
I, we have a few more festivals we need to hear back from, and we'll see how those go. Well, Chris, uh, uh, we wish you the best of luck. And hopefully, I please, if you're out there and you know somebody who can get this in front of the Academy, get this in front of the Academy. I want to see this. I want to see my <laughs> man Chris Graham up there accepting the award or with the pained fake smile as uh, Alia Shawcott's uh, short wins. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be hilarious. Um, yeah, we are actually Academy qualified now. So we got into three Academy Award qualifying festivals. Um, but that's a whole whole thing um, that, yeah, it would be a long shot. So the weird thing is, is if you um, have a foreign language film, a, a, a language predominantly spoken in a foreign language, it has to be submitted by that country as their, as their uh. submission. So um, I, it's technically a Japanese film, even though I'm an American filmmaker. Um, so, uh, yeah, that wouldn't work. Chris, um, I thank you so much for taking the time uh, I, you, you put up with a couple of technical glitches. Uh, the, my computer quit halfway through. Uh, you were so patient. And I, I know that I, when I asked you, I reached out kind of last minute, you know, as a long shot. And you said you were going to be getting busy uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. And it sounds like you are. But I appreciate you taking the time out to talk about this. this. And um, keep us posted. You know, uh, let us know if this does find a home or, you know, where it's going to be. We'll, I'll try to keep people informed because I want people to see it if they can. It's it's really, uh, it's it's really a piece of work, in the best possible way. Thanks, buddy. That means a lot. Yeah. So uh, that's it, man. Do you have any f- final parting words? Any any anything you wanna that we didn't cover that you wanna throw in there? Did you... I don't think so. Um, no. Just tell the uh, crew I said hi and I miss them. Um, They'll the, be uh, your uh, your co podcasters. Listen, this is your colleagues in this, airwaves. This is about me right now. Okay. Ready, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my time down here. Okay. <laughs> this is our time <laughs> now. Uh, I'm gonna watch Goonies now, so yeah. Yeah, do it. Uh, how, by the way, very hot. But before I go, hot button topic: Hook. I know you're a big Spielberg guy. Where do you land on Hook? So weird, you ask that. I watched it. Last week, for the first time in 20, 15, 20 years. It's awful. It is pretty bad. <laughs> it is. I, I had a hard time enjoying that. Um, yeah, it felt really slapped together, too. Um, I, man, I, it felt so much bigger and fuller when I was younger uh, watching it. Um, all the, oh, man, yeah. It is, it is crazy. There's some, some weird stuff in that movie, too. Uh, oh, you know, it's funny. I think it's one of those movies like The Goonies. That's what brought it up is that if you don't catch it at a certain age, it's not going to translate well. And I think that's the problem with uh, with with Hook. Uh, I'm fine being oblivious to uh, The Goonies, you know, not being great, not being the best thing ever. I, I don't want to lose the magic there. But um, Hook was not um, did not last. Uh, yeah, for me. Okay. But uh, definitely uh, still a big fan of Goonies. I'm sorry to hear that about about Spielberg and you parting ways. <laughs> Cause I know, <laughs> yeah, I know you're a big yeah. guy, you're a big Spielberg guy. But again, Chris, thank you so much, my man. I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, please follow us on the Twitter at Soup Complex S O U P Complex. Uh, Chris, where can they find you on the social media if they want to find out what's going on with your production company, Last Light Productions? I'm on the Facebooks. Um, I'm <laughs> under. Uh, I, Chris Graham, <laughs> <Lockwood> pictures. <laughs> I look it up. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram at Last Light Pictures. Perfect. Yeah, check it out at Last Light Pictures. Any word before we go? You were going to do kind of a travelogue show in in Japan, and I know that uh, COVID kind of may have messed that up. Is that still in the works, or what's going oh, yeah. on? So, um, my wife and I shot about 14 episodes of a, uh, uh, of a, a series about traveling around Tokyo and, um, and different neighborhoods. And we interview, um, local, um, uh, people that live there in the, in the neighborhoods, but these are all foreigners living abroad. So the, the idea is that we interview people that live in these neighborhoods and they show us around, they show us their favorite things. And you kind of get to see Tokyo through, um, sort of a, a visitor's eyes and, um, and, but we also tie in um, a lot of um, locals as well. And um, so that show was actually um, ended up being a shop to Netflix and, and I think Amazon. Um, but I don't think anything came of it, at least not yet. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening with that. But yeah, COVID certainly put the brakes on a lot of things. Um, so I, I might just be pumping out those episodes for YouTube. And if something comes of it, then that's great. But if not, then you know we'll have them there. But, yeah, because um, some of your Instagram stuff of Tokyo was just amazing. Uh, it was, it was really, really great. So I wanted to find out if that was still in the works, but keep, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, so Chris, thanks again for, uh, for Chris Graham and for myself, I say this transmission ends now. Unity.